Hello, and welcome to Moments That Made Her, a podcast where the rare and unique women that hold senior private equity roles share their stories, including the key personal and professional moments that define their journeys and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm Kirstie McGuire, Executive Director of P.E. Wynn. For those of you joining us for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women Investor Network also known as P.E. Wynn. We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. P.E. Wynn provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit pewin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of P.E. Wynn, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as the Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets until she let it sail in 2014. She is now the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation, and serves on the board of the Greenbrier Companies and Grasshopper Bank, and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Welcome to the latest episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Kelly Williams, the founding chair of the Private Equity Women Investor Network, And I am so excited to have my friend, Dana Johns, who's the Senior Portfolio Manager for Private Equity at the Maryland State Retirement System as my guest today. Dana has such an interesting story. She's had such a cool life and um, some things that are maybe a little unexpected about her background. So I have been so looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Dana. Thanks, Kelly. It's really great to be here and to talk to you about, you know, moments that made us. (laughs) I know. There's so many of them. And of course, as we get older, there are more and more of them. Um, The challenge is to remember all of them. So I want to start where I always start, which is at the beginning, and ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about how and where you grew up. Sure. Um, So I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm the oldest of three. And I had a, you know, fairly traditional upbringing. Um, You know, my parents probably um, canceled themselves out on the political spectrum. So I I guess I had the best of both worlds. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, just a, you know, kind of normal upbringing um, in Pittsburgh, a a wonderful city um, to grow up in. Um, But I, I kind of always had my sights set on moving to the East Coast, or at least one of the coasts, um, and out of the middle of the country. That's a great, though, experience to have lived in the Midwest and then on the East Coast, now in, in the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, not not everybody has a chance to move around, particularly in, in you know, the younger parts yeah. of yeah. their life. Yeah. So, you know, my mom was, was um, from Providence, um, in Rhode Island, and my dad was was from Pittsburgh. So somehow he uh, talked her into into moving 
to Pittsburgh. And, and I think growing up, I, you know, my mom was an artist and my dad was a, you know, corporate, you know, executive at a bank. So, so definitely, as I said before, kind of a uh, best of both worlds. Um, I think, I think interestingly enough, my mother always thought, um, that I should pursue a much more kind of professional career <laughs> not as an artist. Um, and of course, as the oldest daughter and, and mothers always, you know, kind of disagree. Um, you know, I uh, always being pretty um, focused in, you know, kind of my academic studies, um, definitely decided that chemistry and biology were not for me and um, pursued liberal arts when I was in college. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to one of our other members yesterday, Lisa Pattis, and we were talking about the fact that we really enjoy um, understanding different perspectives, mm -hmm. even though we may not agree with them, particularly politically. Um, you know, I think maybe because she and I are both trained as lawyers, <clears throat> but it, I think it's a superpower to be able to understand the other side of the argument. Sounds like you grew up that way yes. with your parents. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. But I think uh, my mother always somehow won the argument. <laughs> <laughs> That's the um, way it's Exactly. To be. <laughs> and over the years, I think definitely neutralized. Um, and even, uh, you know, my father, who um, who um, has moderated in his his um, political views is kind of probably much more, you know, kind of centrist versus either being very, you know, right or left, you know, so. So. So I kind of uh, grew up appreciating, really yeah, appreciating yeah. how to have to, you know, kind of navigate, you know, being able to share your ideas, but appreciating another side. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I mean, um, I, I actually sponsor at my alma mater, Union mm -hmm. College, something called the Forum for Constructive Engagement. Yeah. <clears throat> and the whole ethos behind it is to model for students at, at a young age yeah. how do you have a how do you have discourse with someone whose political views or any right. views you don't agree right. with but do it in a dignified respectful yeah. way and i think in our industry we we definitely have to navigate that there's def you know kind of um in private equity there's people who align with with you know different sides of the of the aisle but i think ultimately you know we all have a common goal you know, in terms of trying to generate a return um, from very good investments. And, and I think if, you know, kind of, if there's good governance and, um, you know, lots of, you know, kind of the things that you need to be able to make great investment decisions, you kind of are, you have the freedom to let those, you know, personal kind of um, feelings and, and alignments, you know, kind of move to the side. Yeah, you sort of have to. Mm -hmm. I, I I always used to say, you know, when I would hear someone on my team talk about a manager who was particularly difficult or unpleasant, I said, look, if you canceled out everyone in private equity who fit right? that definition, you wouldn't have anybody to invest with. So, <laughs> no, <exactly>. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, may, it makes a pretty narrow yeah, pool. But yeah. um, so, I mean, as you can tell, um, our listeners can't see this, but behind me, my 
my background is always yeah. art. Yeah. I, I live with art and I love art. And I know that's something you share with me. You talked about your mom's background. So I that's one of the reasons I've been so looking forward to this conversation, yeah. because this is a passion you and I share. Um, can you talk a little bit about your, your first job? Sure. So... Um, uh, kind of maybe backing up to college in senior year. Um, one of the one of the uh, pieces of advice my father gave me, as you know, kind of as I embarked on my liberal arts career or liberal arts studies, was, you know, I understand, you know, you're you know, kind of very intellectually curious. Just always be resourceful, you know, uh, in whatever you do. Not even, you know, I, I mean, in your career in your life, but you know, just be resourceful and. Um, and so that's always stuck in the back of my head. So, of course, as I'm, you know, in my senior year of college thinking, what the hell am I going to do with a comparative arts degree? And I've been studying, you know, art history and just really kind of involved in, in the art world locally um, at, at, at the university that I attended. Um, writing about art, you know, thinking about it. You know, a lot of my friends were artists. Um, I, I kind of had my eyes set on New York. Um, and one of the, I, and I wish I had saved this, this, um, this magazine, this, you know, kind of the, whatever it was like the April, you know, edition of Elle magazine. But, um, there was a, there was a profile about Paula Cooper and Paula Cooper for many who don't know, but for those of us who love art probably do know well was, is a very famous, um, art dealer, fem you know, woman art dealer, very um, uh, successful and in the 60s kind of started her own gallery in Soho in New York. So I read this profile and it really um, resonated with me and to the degree of like, I really want to work for this woman. Um, so I called the gallery up, um, being the resourceful me that I am and said, hey, do you guys have internships? I'm graduating, you know, from college in May. And the woman that answered the phone, Natasha um, Sigmund, said, yes, we do. Please come. <laughs> and um, so that was kind of the like my first um, the first chapter in my kind of decade long um, career in the arts, which kind of went from the commercial side working for Paula um, for a couple of years to then shifting over to the nonprofit side when I moved to Baltimore, um, and this would have been in the early 90s, and Baltimore was not the hotbed of commercial art galleries at all <laughs> in the 90s. Um, but, uh, but there were a lot of really great museums, and I had met uh, some of the curators from the Baltimore Museum of Art who you know, would come visit um, the gallery. There are lots of artists that, were in, um, that Paula represented were in the museum's collection. So um, when I got to Baltimore, um, you know, kind of early on, not even realizing it, you know, kind of in a, in a um, uh, you know, kind of conscious way, but building, had been building a network um, when I, you know, when I arrived in New York. So they were able to help me leverage um, you know, kind of my experiences there. And my first job, my second first job <laughs> But my second job was working at the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is a um, well-known four-year um, arts college um, in the U.S. And um, MICA, as it's you know um, known as, I was able to work in the career development office and work with these young um, artists 
who were, you know, passionately, you know, wanting to, you know, you know, kind of make a career out of their art. So I was able to kind of pass on my experiences of how do you engage with, a, you know, with an art gallery in New York. And back then, and this is pre-internet, well, the internet was around, but this was pre-email for us. Um, people would, you know, artists would walk in with their slides. And, you know, when you think about it today, the, the, those are kind of relics of, uh, you know, although I do have a bunch of slides around that I love to kind of, you know, look at. Um. <laughs> but, but anyway, so that, that's kind of the beginning, the beginning of, you know, really kind of um, nurturing that passion to continue to work with artists. I am not an artist, um, uh, but just have always, and I, you know, I think it goes back to kind of my mom dragging us to museums and, and throughout our childhood, um, wherever we were, you know, whatever city we were visiting. Um, and yeah, so, so I continued that for about 10 years. I, I worked for one more, I worked at the BMA for a couple of years, and then I worked for the Contemporary Museum. Um, which was a really is a really special museum, which did not have a permanent collection, but we did temporary exhibitions, um, partnering with and and uh, along the lines of kind of the early early days, um, at least in my world of sustainability, we were kind of mm -hmm. leveraging. Um, we would partner with other museums using their spaces. So um, yeah, so there there were some really you know kind of special years of, um, at, and living in Baltimore, um, you know, working with, Baltimore is like a, a, a you know, it's a medium-sized city, but it's, you know, kind of like a big town, you know, big town, you know, small city kind of feel. So you kind of get um, exposure to uh, a lot, a lot of people, collectors, yeah. artists, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, wonderful quirky city um, that's, you know, kind of pretty passionate about culture, um, even though, you know, you have, uh, you know, kind of um, Shakespearean <clears throat> uh, shows like The Wire, <laughs> which, right, which right. would show a different side, but... Um, Very different side. But people tend to forget that Baltimore is a major port mm -hmm. and, has, and has been, you know, since the founding of yeah. our country. And so it... Um, it has been kind of an international crossroads in many ways. I mean, Charleston's that way. Yeah. Savannah's that way. There are these other cities that people don't realize until you yeah. go there yeah. how uh, how diverse and how cultured they are and how passionate they are about the culture yeah. and how unique yeah. the culture is. Um, well, there's so much, gosh, there's know, so much sorry. we could talk about <laughs> there. But But the thing I think everybody's probably wondering is how did you make your way to private equity? with that kind of background? So, um, I, you know, I, so private equity, I, I, this is, I don't, I don't think I've er, ever shared this. The one business class I ever took in college was accounting. And again, my father was like, you know, you're, you go to us, you know, you, you're, you're attending a school that has a really great business school. You should, you know, you should have some sort of business, you know, kind of take, take a business class. So I was like, all right, I'll take accounting. Well, that was a big disaster because, <laughs> of course, I'm always the overachiever. I have like a full load, you know, and it was um, not a good outcome. 
as it relates to my GPA. I should have taken... Sort of like when I took statistics. Yeah, I should have taken a pass-fail. I mean, I was a math major. I was like, oh, I can take statistics. Oh, my God. That was a nightmare. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, if you, you know what you know, like, if I had just realized, oh, I should get a tutor and the tutor will help me. Like, you know what I mean? But there was just so much going on and I didn't have time for a tutor and anyway, so yeah, so so that kind of left this like not great taste in my mouth of like, oh, business. Oh, like I'm terrible at that, which, you know, goes a little bit to, you know, when women have a bad experience and, you know, they're not good at it, then it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm not good at that. So I should not even think about that as a potential, you know, path uh, for my career. So... I was, you know, when I, but, but through work experience, I was working at the Contemporary Museum and I was the deputy director there. And, you know, you had to do a lot of things that were not maybe necessarily finance related, but they certainly were business related, you know, putting together budgets and, you know, raising money, <laughs> kind of making payroll and things like that. So, so, you know, I kind of, I my son was born in 1998 and this was kind of towards the the back end of the decade of my, you know, kind of working in the art world, I decided to take some time off um, when he was two. So that was kind of 2000 and um, kind of was feeling very burnt out. A lot of, you know, raising money. Um, you know, I loved what I was doing. I've always, I think I've been blessed because the two careers that I've had, I've, both of them I've loved. The, the one I'm in today, which I love, love, and, you know, working in the art world, which I loved. But the, the art world, I can continue to. I, you know, I'm really involved at the Baltimore Museum of Art. And, you know, I, so that, that, that piece of me, I can kind of, you know, continue to feed. That, you know, kind of collecting art and, you know, supporting artists. Um, but when I was um, in my little kind of mini sabbatical, um, I decided because I'm the big nerd that I am, I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to school and get a second bachelor's in computer science because I was 2000 and it was kind of like, hmm, there's something going on here as it relates to, you know, computer science and and um, it's not business. <laughs> so, right. so maybe I'll be OK at this. Well, it turns out, you know, I, I really enjoyed those classes and the program that I was in, I was able to get a second bachelor's bachelor's degree. Um, so I kind of jumped, had, to, I got to jump all the prereqs and just get right into the program. But in the meantime, you know, kind of thinking ahead, I don't want to, um, I know I'll go back to work. This was not a, like, I'm going to be a stay at home mom forever. Um, but I just didn't know what that next step was going to be. And, you know, just the way, you know, kind of your, um, life leads its, you know, f you find your way through kind of different experiences, um, I kind of put myself back out there and um, had no idea what private equity was, but um, there was a position open at this uh, um, firm in, in Baltimore called Camden Partners and small private equity shop, um, mm -hmm. perfect kind of um, step for me to kind of learn about a new field, learn about finance. I kind of fell in love with it. And and I got to, I started at the bottom 
again. Like I was the assistant to one of the partners who taught me everything I know about direct investing. And um, and it turns out he was from Pittsburgh. And it turns out he, you know, was was um, his family and my father's family knew each other. They like lived in, you know, the same part of town. So it just felt, you know, kind of right. And, um, and we were at the same time, they were, they were uh, creating a new product, a fund of funds. And, and so literally kind of from the ground up, I got to experience, you know, how you kind of structure, you know, these vehicles, how do you raise money? I was really good at raising money. So (laughs) that skill set was not um, something I had to learn. And it was, you know, it's it's funny you say that because one of the things I always tell um, young people in private equity is, you know, deals are sexy, and you know, I know you want to work on deals, and but keep in mind, anybody can run a model, mm-hmm. but not everybody can raise yeah. money. And if you get a chance to work on the fundraising part yeah. of your firm, that's a skill set that translates into anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. Because you need money for every single yeah. business you might want to yeah. do, and so a lot of a lot of you know analysts and associates look down mm-hmm. on that. They don't want to work on pitch books. They don't you know that's boring. But I tell them that's yeah. the most important thing you can yeah. learn. Absolutely, um, I was able to you know work on every aspect of from the marketing pitches to the decks to you know targeting who the um, potential you know most um, appropriate investors would be. Um, fortunately, we we actually had uh, an investor base um, with one of the um, with Wilmington Trust, which had a wealth platform, and they had clients that they had been investing in the direct side in Camden Partners Direct Private Equity Funds, um, but they were looking for um, a platform. They weren't going to build something internally, but they were looking for a partner to be able to provide access to their their um, high net worth um, clients who wanted access to private equity and venture. Um, so it was a really it was a really great experience. So we kind of had a built in base of of um, investors. At the same time, we were building that LP base, and so and that all goes to I guess you know just really giving me that foundation for, you know, nine years later when I when I left Camden and moved to Maryland, that I really understood kind of from, you know, all sides, whether, you know, kind of investing directly in companies to, in, you know, fund manager, you know, investing in fund managers, you know, kind of building portfolios. And I always think about portfolios as, you know, kind of group exhibitions, you know, and how can you think about, <laughs> you know, you balancing, I you know, that. the, the, um, how you balance uh, a portfolio or diversify it. So I I had mm-hmm. to learn this language. And, and I ended up um, going back and getting my master's um, in finance. And I did that at Loyola University, which is here based in um, Baltimore. And they had a really great um, uh, evening, you know, master's evening, you know, kind of program. So I worked full time. Um, so I was full time mom. I was a full time, you know, kind of, um, wor- you know, working at Camden, and I was at school in the evening, and I was able to do all of this because of, you know, my parents. Who, um, when Wheeler was born, my mother literally <laughs> was like, she came. She's like, well, of course we're going to come help you, 
And, um, you know, that wasn't, uh, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't an option. It was, <laughs> he was the first grandchild. And um, mm-hmm. I ended up moving here. Um, they, you know, uh, over time kind of sold their house and they had a farm outside of Pittsburgh. They, you know, and they kind of divested themselves of everything in Pennsylvania and moved here. My brother ended up moving to Baltimore. So at one point there was like, the John's family was, you know, kind of, squarely in Baltimore. The only person, well, no, actually my sister moved to Maryland for a while because she worked for the Travel Channel and their mm-hmm. um, their uh, uh, headquarters were here in, in um, Bethesda, which have you taste. But anyway, so yeah, at one point, the whole Johns family was here in, in Maryland. Um, well, you know, it's it, maybe I have to do an episode about this sometime because I think um, for so many people, particularly women who have children, the role that their parents have played mm-hmm. in their success yeah. is, is you know, it didn't stop at like putting you through school <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where my mother's Italian and I didn't think this was odd at all growing up. I thought this was how everybody lived. But like for a time, the whole family lived in the same mm-hmm. building. Mm-hmm. Like they lived on each, they owned the building yeah. and my great grandparents lived on one floor. My grandparents yeah. lived on another floor, the aunts and uncles. Um, and then my grandparents and my great grandparents bought some land and built two houses mm-hmm. and they lived there together. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, that's, and we didn't, we only socialized with our family and our cousins yeah. and yeah. somebody was always taking care of us. And that's kind of traveled through life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when when uh, and I know so many women in PE win who have parents, uh, particularly moms, who live with them yep. or live like next yep. door to them yep. and help take care of their kids, and that's been a real key to their success. Yeah. No, I would have never. I I, I honestly, um, at the time, you know, I was I was I I so I am divorced, and um, my ex husband, who actually we have a wonderful relationship, and you know, it, it it's. Um, he's remarried and he has a, a son. Wheeler has a little brother that, um, you know, Wheeler used to say, I want a brother or sister. I'm like, your father's going to have to do <laughs> one. One is enough <laughs> for me. But but he was working at the Smithsonian. Jay, Jay is an artist, but he was working at the Smithsonian at the um, National Museum of um, American Indian. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was here in Baltimore, I was going to school, I was working full time and we really did need my parents and they were there, you know, to, to really help us through that time when, um, you know, Jay's commuting because he was living here in Baltimore, Jay was commuting to DC. So, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely, um, you know, kind of chaotic, but at the same time, we always knew we had my parents there to like really help us, you know, um, take care of Wheeler and make sure he was picked up from school and, you know, you know, or, you know, got to the baseball game or, you know, whatever it was. So it would definitely really value that, um, you know, that family and, and now Wheeler's moved to Boston. And so I'm kind of, well, someday. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe Boston's in your future. Well, luckily we have a great Boston chapter of PE Win who, you know, would would be happy to welcome you. And now that everything's so mobile that we can do our jobs from almost anywhere. Um, So, you know, it's such an interesting background. I love how you give examples of how what you learned from the art world translates Mm -hmm. over just in terms of your thinking and vice versa. Um, 
How did you then make your way into a senior role, particularly at, at State of Maryland? You've you've taken a real leadership role in their growing their private equity mm -hmm. program. So when I joined, um, you know, back then it was 2011 and it was just post um, 2008. So everything was kind of um, a bit, um, you know, kind of uncertain, although the markets were, you know, starting to come back. We were, I guess, still in a bit of a recession, but... Anyways, um, I had kind of run the course at Camden. Um, they were not. They were. They would had decided they were no longer going to raise um, additional um, fund to funds. Um, we had raised five. We'd raised five funds. I think the total all in was about two hundred fifty million across. You know these five funds, and um, I had. You know I had had gotten up. So Catherine Burkett, who I should mention her because she's very key, um, and I think there's a theme here with strong women in my life. You know, whether it's my mother or it was Paula Cooper or you know Catherine Burkett was also very um, instrumental in kind of molding and shaping and you know kind of guiding me and and how to think about being um, you know kind of a, a portfolio manager. And um, when the position became available um, at, at Maryland, and when you apply for it back then, when you applied for a job at Maryland, you actually, the, the job description, I, I was like, oh, this is me. Like, this is absolutely the qualifications. But you really didn't quite know what you were applying for. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so when I, when I was interviewed, I was actually interviewed by the head of fixed income. And... <laughs> It was just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, it was a couple of years since I'd studied, you know, kind of cracked open the, the fixed income um, textbooks. So but but they, they they've always had panels, you know, interview panels. And one of the individuals on the, this interview panel was Margot Wheat, who you might remember, was mm -hmm. the head of private sure, equity. Of and yeah. um, Margot, I guess, was kind of like, oh, no, you need to hire her. She, at the time, the private equity, because we were still in freezes, Maryland, the state of Maryland was still in freezes for hiring. And so mm -hmm. the position that they had available in private equity was kind of, they called them pins, but it was, it was that pin was frozen. The legislature had to approve it. Um, but they were... Um, Mansco Perry, who was the CIO, had just kind of shifted around the asset classes to kind of separate them into kind of, you know, kind of real assets, real estate, credit, you know, private equity. And they had high, they had promoted a guy that was a senior investment analyst to a managing director who needed a senior investment analyst in real estate. So my very first, so, you know, kind of Margot being the, the wonderful person that she is really kind of guided that um, kind of my resume to Steve and, um, and yeah, I spent about two years in, um, real estate, uh, and real assets and, um, until the pin for private equity became, um, unfrozen. And then I kind of shifted to private equity. Um, and I think it was like probably 2013, and um, at the time, you know, they had really they had started that program in 2004. And so it was a pretty and, and, and it only had, I think, it was like a 5% allocation initially, might have been 2% allocation. Um, and then GFC, the, you know, great financial, you know, um, recession happened, uh, or GFC happened. 
and um, they'd kind of slowed down the pacing. So the the portfolio really, when I joined, um, they were just starting to ramp it up in 2012 and 13. And I really had the opportunity to kind of ground floor, build out the portfolio that we have today. And I've had the, you know, kind of been able to watch the fruits of our labor over the last decade um, come to fruition where it's a mature portfolio. It's, it's performing really well. Um, at the same time, and I, you know, clearly didn't realize this back then, but um, our kind of um, commitment to emerging managers and diverse managers had been kind of put into play with Mansco Perry. He had created the Terra Maria program. And it had really, its expression had really kind of initially been on the public equity side, where they have a program, um, a manager of manager program. But on the private equity side, or the private market side in general, the private market side, it was just starting to kind of um, grow. And so, you know, kind of investing in managers um, that at the time were maybe billion dollar funds, you know, kind of half a billion, billion dollar to two billion, which today are now 20 billion, um, <laughs> um, grown very quickly over the last decade um, into real juggernauts of the industry. But um, I had the ability to kind of and the force, not not the foresight, but just the um, kind of uh, understanding um, over time as I got to know this portfolio and to understand what the values were of the system and you know of our, you know kind of the the pension plan, how that all fit together, and it it again it, you know my passion for working with artists, you know, kind of emerging artists, and then it you know kind of you know, kind of transfers to working with fund managers who are kind of like artists, you know, they're creating something, they're building something. And, um, and it's long term, you know, kind of art is there, it sits on your wall for a long time, hopefully, you know, you, you buy it because you love it. And you want to live with it and, you know, kind of investing with fund managers, you know, might live with them, but it increases in value, right? (laughs) And it increases in value. Exactly. (laughs) But um, yeah, there are a lot of analogies there. Yeah. So so it was just a natural. You're just a natural fit. Somehow, like I, yeah. I could have never private. I had no idea what private equity was. You know, when you know, I was thinking about what could I, what, how can I bring value to this world? You know, how can I? Right. Um, I've always been more of like a mission driven type of person. Um, I have worked when I've worked in organizations that you know had a much different you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of value set, uh, more focused on, you know, making as much money as possible. That's probably not been the best fit commercially, but, you know, kind of on the private side. But I do think on the public side, which there is that whole drive to let's make as much money as possible. It's because we want to, you know, um, provide the, you know, kind of monthly beneficiary payments that, you know, we are charged with doing. Um, so anyways. We would like to take a brief break to thank PE Wins founding sponsors, Kane Anderson Real Estate and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. 
If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at pewin.org. Now back to today's guest. So, um, again, there's so much to talk about, but, um, there's a painting uh, behind me that is a painting by an artist named Michael Kareen West. Mm -hmm. Now her name was really Kareen West, but she adopted the name Michael because she was a painter during the abstract Mm -hmm. expressionist period. And like Lee Krasner Mm -hmm. and and other artists chose a name that um, is dual gendered, but that would not stop people in the first instance Mm -hmm. from interacting with her Mm -hmm. art because they thought Mm -hmm. it was by a woman. Mm -hmm. Right. And so are there times, can you think of a time in your career where you've been particularly aware of the fact, uh, particularly in private equity, that you're a woman? Um, yeah, um, I've, I feel it all the time. Um, I think initially more, um, I was surrounded by men, you know, on my team. Um, I think, you know, when I worked in private equity on, you know, on in, for the firm, um, Definitely, you know, kind of the um, you could kind of observe um, who would be taken more seriously. And even at times, you know, when you're going on a pitch and, you know, they would they would bring a guy along, you know, to kind of do do the pitches and things like that. So so there there was that. I mean, it was kind of like in the back of my conscious. But I, I think you know, sitting in on, on advisory boards and being the only woman and looking around the table and, you know, kind of, but that also gave me the, um, I have this, this mantra in the back of my head. It's like, you know, don't wait to be asked to take a seat at the table, you know, take your seat at the table. It's yours. You don't have to, you know, um, ask for it or don't, you know, you don't have to wait to be asked that that's even more. Um, I, I realized that, um, when I'm sitting in our, um, we call them shark tanks, which are our internal um, investment committee meetings, and all the guys sit around the table. And I would sit, and then, you know, it's a small conference room, and I would sit, you know, kind of on one of the chairs that would bring, you know, kind of the, the, the room. And we had hired some guy, and, you know, I guess, you know, you think kind of there's a hierarchy, you're new, you'd sit on the, you know, sit on the, sit on the outside. But um, he walked right in and sat down at the table. And I was like, <laughs> huh, I've been here for like, oh, that's a, that's a perfect five years, <laughs> at least, maybe six. And he just came in and sat at the table. I'm like, all right. So the next meeting, I came in, I sat down exactly at the like, you know, end of the table, not even in the middle around, like I was at the end. And that was my seat for, you know, it's been my seat until COVID. And then now we've been on Zoom. But <laughs> but right. it was right. just one of those moments where I was kind of like, huh, what the hell was I waiting for? You know, I mean, I'm really well respected. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they thought that, you know, she should be on the outside. It was just, it was just culturally, you know, it was kind of like, oh, and no one said a word. So, and that was just like this aha moment for me, which I have now always, 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 I just sit at the table. 
So I, that, that is, that is such a perfect story because it's, it's subtle, but it's very, every woman knows what you're talking yeah. about. You know, one of the things I realize, and it, it's, it's similar in that, you know, women are often um, criticized for not speaking in meetings. And I always say, well, if you ask any person in the room what actually happened in the meeting, the woman's the only one right. who knows because she's actually been listening to everybody right. else. She's not just spending all her time thinking of the next clever thing yeah. she's going to say or co-opting yeah. what someone else has said. Um, but what I always tell people is you got to use everything you've got mm-hmm. as, to your advantage. And one of the things we have as women is that we're different. And people don't expect us to talk in meetings. And so, you know, just using the, the, the tone of your voice, the um, volume of your voice, the fact that you're even talking, mm-hmm. people are more likely to remember what you yeah. said because yeah. you are, like, unusual. Mm-hmm. And I, I have used that throughout my career to my advantage because just making sure that I talk with a forceful voice, I don't have the kind of voice where I, you know, I end in a question right. like a lot of women do. And that makes a real impact. But the same thing, it's just naturally walking into a room and sitting at the table as, as opposed to taking the bleacher seats. Yeah. That's a really powerful message. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing, um, the other really beneficial thing about my um, time at Maryland that I really, I really appreciate and, you know, will take with me um, is that I we do have a senior leadership. We have our CIO is very much um, appreciative of different perspectives. And I think it's interesting, like where I used to, you know, kind of prior to Maryland, I don't know necessarily, or I don't think I ever felt like my opinion was really valued. I mean, the work, my work, and, you know, kind of the the product of my work and the, you know, kind of the quality of my work was valued. But I don't know necessarily if I ever felt like, um, my voice and what I thought was was of interest to, to, to really to anyone. When I got to Maryland, um, we were, you know, A, we were building the team, we were building the portfolio. I, I, I kind of got, again, like a, a front row seat once I moved myself up into that, that front row um, with, and with confidence, you know, kind of in understanding how I could have impact on you know, our investment team and the division. And I head up our DE&I committee. And one of the things that, um, and and Andy, our CIO, sits on that committee. So I have the ability to really kind of talk with him about and understand what his um, values are, what, what he would like to do to kind of create and build culture as the team grows. And to be able to be impactful um, but to be to be feel respected, you know, kind of I, I, I absolutely have imposter syndrome, you know, where I think that I'm going to be they're going to discover that uh, she's really not like, you know, a finance person. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean, That's so funny. Every everyone has it. But but I really do feel like the impact and what I've been able to to build with my team over, you know, the last definitely last six years as we've gotten into our rhythm has been really important and powerful and accretive to the returns of of the um the plan so that i i feel i'm so proud of that that you know that kind of fuels the confidence and kind of tamps down the imposter syndrome um but it also just knowing that you know the 
the the people that we hire and with confidence i know that who will join the system you know kind of years to come will be will benefit from you know the the folks that came before them that really valued and and wanted to um make sure that this was a lasting you know kind of um endeavor you know the the brilliance of private equity is it's so long term you have that right. you know and, and so there's all these like how i ever got to this career i you know I don't know because it's just it feels like perfect because I feel like aligned with like all of the things that I really value kind of and hey, clearly there are things in private equity that aren't wonderful but that I could have an impact that being a part of PE win and really being a force you know to kind of help change the you know how you know the investment industry looks, you know, kind of, you know, from a professional standpoint and that there's more women and that more women stay and that, you know, these organizations that are growing understand how important it is to kind of um, focus on retention and not just on like, oh, I have this wonderful, you know, diverse, you know, kind of junior, you know, kind of associate class. But the real work comes once you've hired them and how do you grow and how do you um, uh, train and grow and um, keep really talented, you know, women and and diverse, you know, kind of investment professionals. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You know, the the, the phrases we use are, are pipeline, mm -hmm. right? You, have, you want to have this pipeline. And so many people focus on the pipeline. And so, you know, if you use that that metaphor, you're, you're bringing in the feedstock. But if you don't have a vessel for retention, all the value that you've brought right. in dissipates, yeah. right? It leaks out. And that's kind of, that's, you know, what PE Win obviously is really focused on is how do you create a culture? How do you create a vessel within our industry where women feel um, like they have a place and they're protected and they have they can thrive and, and really um, achieve their potential? Um, so one of the things I always like to, you know, I always personally talk about are not just my successes, but maybe what, you know, to use a euphemism, my teachable moments, <laughs> or maybe, maybe things that didn't, I didn't do quite right, but that, that worked out mm -hmm. because I think that's a really important message. I think you said this before, women are so afraid to fail, mm -hmm. um, but actually they can be really important teachable moments when things don't go perfectly. Um, I guess... You know, when I think back to, um, you know, it's it's more career related um, and kind of paths that I didn't take. Um, when I think about, you know, what if I had stayed in New York versus moving to Baltimore? Now, Baltimore, I moved. I moved to Baltimore for a guy. I don't think that I will ever move anywhere. <laughs> Or a, a guy again, <laughs> um, but on the on the other hand, I think well, uh, except maybe Wheeler. Except, well, right? yes, yes, perhaps Wheeler. <laughs> Although we're going to give him a couple years because he needs to like build his his own life. And um, but I do think that that um, kind of uh, I don't, and I don't think I've done this again as much. But kind of giving up my like dream of 
you know, working in the art world in New York. And and not to say I gave up, I mean, because I came to Baltimore and I continued to work in the art world, but I did, I, you know, my life would be very different. We would not probably have never met. So I, I on one hand- We might have though. Yes, we might have because- <laughs> I spend a lot of time in the art world now, so we might have, but in a very yeah. different way, right? But I think that, um, so as a, you know, making a decision, I consciously made it, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to move to Baltimore for this person. And, um, and ultimately it, it didn't work out, but what, what, what I got from it, you know, again, you know, you can't second guess yourself, but I do, I love to have these like little dreams of like, you know, oh, the curator in New York or the, you know, kind of the, the dealer in New York and what that would have been like. Um, you know, I, 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 maybe it's, maybe it's the art fund. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Lord knows people, people do that. Yeah. Right. Um, although I think it's really hard this is a little off topic, but I think it's hard to in, to invest in yeah. art. I mean, it's not, but if you're somebody who's passionate about art and you really love yeah. it, 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 there's a very yeah. different motivation yeah. in it. Yeah. And I'm someone who, if I acquire something I love, I don't want to no, sell absolutely. it. No, <laughs> absolutely. I would be a terrible yeah. dealer. Yeah. So um, anyway. Yeah. Well, so now I want to move on to um, something in your career, something um, – that you would identify as a high point. Certainly you've got a long, lot more time in your career, but is there a particular high point you could point to? Um, gosh, high point. I mean, I think the past couple of years have been an arc of a high point. Um, I think it's kind of the recognition, you know, I've always been a kind of heads down, you know, um, you know, get the work done and, but at the same time, recognizing how can you be impactful? I think the kind of the recognition of the work that I've been doing and I, you know, having so much more work to, to do, I feel like that's a constant shifting of sands and trying to like stay, um, you know, uh, stay abreast of everything. Um, I think the recognition over like 2021 was a big year. 20, I mean, the pandemic years, interestingly enough, um, while we were all kind of, you know, isolated in our little boxes, um, it allowed me to kind of really, uh, you know, kind of be more proactive, not reactive. I think that, you know, kind of uh, for a number of years, it was like, you know, we're all road warriors, right? We're you know, kind of on planes, going to see managers, traveling around the world. Um, I, I think like the, the high point is just like really building this career into, um, you know, a, a place where I, ha I have a voice and it's, you know, kind of hopefully I think it's respected, <laughs> but um, it absolutely but is. But that I can, and that I can give back. I think so the high point for me is this past two years where I did not have that luxury of um, time to really meet with managers and give them the time that I didn't have before because I was always on a plane or I was, you know, my inbox was, you know, it's still a, a, a crazy mess, you know, chaos mess, but... Um, 
the give back. Like I feel like I, I'm at my a point in my career where I can give back. Even if I can't like allocate dollars, I can I have a big enough network that I have been able to share and see the fruits of that. See like, you know, a manager coming back to me saying, Thank you so much for introducing me to, you know, that particular person because that was kind of the um the turning point. And that person you know, connected me with, you know, three other people, you know. So I think for me, while the last um, couple of years have been really challenging, it's also been really gratifying that w our mission is to kind of support senior women in private equity, but to also, you know, I, I think the solution, you know, in our world where the with a lack of female fund managers is to help female, you know, women who want to raise funds. So our, you know, kind of with Pink Light, I mean, from the very beginning when Adele, like, you know, I remember that very, very, you were there, that fit, it was a New York, it was a New York meeting. Oh, we did it together, yeah. the first I think panel. it was, it yeah. was Suzanne yeah. Yoon. I know, and, <laughs> who I ended up investing with. So, so it was a great, well, I think it was Suzanne and it was Prelude. Yes, yeah, It yeah. was uh, Netta. Yeah, yeah I, when I invested with both yeah. of them, yeah. So that to me, was kind of like the aha moment too. Another aha moment of oh, this is this is the way we're gonna do this because I'm gonna beat my head against a wall asking my other managers who you know kind of you know what does diversity look like? What are you guys thinking about diversity? And 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 understanding these are you know kind of firms that were founded by these guys, these men, and it's you know when you're constantly hiring people that look like you or think like you or came from the same school, that there, you know, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle to try to kind of break out of. But I do right. see change. I do hear, maybe not see, but hear change. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was having this conversation. I had breakfast with Frank Baker the other day and uh, we were talking about this. And I, you know, it's like, at some point, if if managers are making money, investors don't really care. Yeah. They don't care what they look like. They don't care what gender they are. Um, it's just about making money, and that's where the momentum starts. Yeah. And you know that's certainly happening with women. I mean, all of those women who've gone through um, that you just mentioned, who've gone through Project mm -hmm. Pinklight, are now raising yeah. oversubscribed funds. Yeah. You can't even get into yeah. them. So. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think it's just more, um, more shots on mm -hmm. gold, you know, more mm -hmm. trips to the plate, mm -hmm. more opportunities that women have mm -hmm. to demonstrate their track record and their abilities. And, you know, there's plenty of money. Yeah. The money definitely flows there. I couldn't agree with you more. But I, I think what my observation would be, you've gone from having a job to having a, a, a platform, a career in a platform. And that, that is transformational that's very meaningful and no surprise that you're getting recognition for it because you also have the the street cred in terms of your track record you know you've made a great contribution to the system there and so when you do that that gives you a lot more latitude mm -hmm. in terms of you know directions that you want to go and, and doing things that reflect the values of you and in, in the, the place that you yeah. work well, now I want to go to one of my favorite parts of moment that, Moments That Made Her, and that's our lightning round. <laughs> so I'm just going to shoot a couple okay. questions at you, and this this will help people get to know you a little bit better. But what is a great book you've recently read or listened to? They both count. So in the beginning of the pandemic, and I read a lot, and if I we're not in the right room, but I have like shelves and shelves of books. That's something that um, I inherited from my mother, who is a voracious reader. 
But in the beginning of the pandemic, um, my son um, came out. He was a junior in, in college and they unceremoniously <laughs> sent everyone home. Um, not to come back. <laughs> and he brought a friend with him um, who she wasn't able to go to her um, to be with her family during that that kind of um, tumultuous semester. Anyway, she stayed with us and she had recommended this book and I read it and I, I don't think I've cried as much as I've cried, but it was it's called A Little Life and it's Hanya Yanagyara. And she has a more she has a recent book that's out too um, that I've bought that I just haven't had time to read. But it was I love you know kind of it's, it's fiction and it's a bit you know about friends living in New York and it's like a you know kind of not so much coming of age but it, it, I don't know it was just the most beautifully written book so I would highly recommend um, a little a life, little life. Okay. Um, and it's you know kind of it's just a lovely I mean it's pretty tragic but it was just so well written so all yeah. right okay we're gonna look yeah. for that one uh what's your cell phone wallpaper um my cell phone wallpaper is so there's a, a lake that I go to every summer um in Maine and it is the wallpaper we we build these cairns that like the little stone you know kind of um mm -hmm. stone like totem, yeah, totem. So, yeah. anyways, it's mm -hmm. the lake, um, and um, it's these cairns that we we. Uh, it should be Wheeler, but you know what? Wheeler's on my little <laughs> Wheeler's on my little like you know if you were to call me or I have to call you, he pops up you know in that little circle thing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. My, mine is mine is my little nephew Teddy, yeah. who's three. Yeah. And There's just something just kind of there, it's it's. Well, it's a place that I share with Wheeler every summer. You know, we've gone there for, you know, almost 10 years together. Um, it's a very, it's a really special part of the world and just quiet and contemplative. And, you know, we just like recharge there. So, yeah. So I think I know the answer to this question, but um, if you had a career other than <laughs> private equity, what would it be? A dog groomer. No. <laughs> no. Um, uh, curator, right? I mean, I just, I, 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 I do it even in, you know, my whole, you know, apartment is covered in art. I just had, um, the, the apartment repainted and, uh, it's just the way that the, you know, kind of. It looks fabulous, by thanks. the way. Thanks. Yeah. No, I love the French gray behind I'm you. It looks so really good. <laughs> excited. Anyway, so yeah, so probably a curator. Um, are you a dog or a cat person? Definitely a dog person. Although my dog is like a cat, but definitely a dog. <laughs> we, you know, I love, you know. I like both. Yeah, yeah. No, mostly, mostly a dog. Yeah. Mostly mm -hmm. dog. Um, and then finally, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think I, I mentioned it earlier, but the, you know, the advice that my father gave me about, you know, be resourceful, you know, you know, it, it, you can do whatever you want because I know you can, um, but just be resourceful. And so, the, and I've passed that piece of advice along to my son, who's now kind of embarking on his life. Um, it's been, you know, kind of a tough couple of months because he was here for a bit after college, um, uh, just kind of, you know, kind of that transition time deciding where he was going to move. And when he left, 
it was kind of like, wow, you're moving into your life and you're not coming back unless you're coming to visit me, but you're not coming back for, you know, to move back into your room. And um, yeah, so I, I think just being resourceful and I share this with, you know, other, other even fund managers. I'm like, just be resourceful and be thoughtful about, you know, kind of what it is that you want, what do you want to achieve? You know, you're on this side of the bridge, you need to get to the other. What what will get you there? And, you know, kind of um, help you, you know, kind of in building your confidence, but in building and in, in building your success, so. Well, I think that's great advice. And I think it's very apt for probably everyone who's listening. <laughs> I have had so much fun talking with you and I know we could talk yes, for hours know, about right? so this many is... things and we will do a follow-up. I definitely want to do an art okay. follow-up. So stay tuned everybody on that. But thank you, Dana Johns, for being our guest thank today. Thank you, on Kelly. It's been her. wonderful to talk. And uh, yeah, the the hour and a half has like flown by like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PEWIN Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording. This recording is provided as is and PEWIN expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged, the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by P.E. Wynn and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without P.E. Wynn's prior written consent. Any third-party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon.